Amen. Aren't you thankful that we have a Lord that we can lift our voice to and ask for help in the midst of a troubled time? I'm so thankful to be able to call our, our Father in Heaven, my Heavenly Father, to celebrate the love that He has given and the way that He works in the midst of our lives. And as we think about that responsibility of being an example for others on this day where we celebrate our earthly fathers and the example they have set for us, I want to challenge you to think through the words of this poem. And it says this, There are little eyes upon you, and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do anything you do. And a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're the little fellow's hero. You're the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you, no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devoutly, holds all that all you say and do. He will say and do in your way when he's grown up just like you. There's a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right and his ears are always open and he watches day and night. You are setting an example every day in all you do for the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be like you. Now let me ask you, man, as you reflect upon this day to celebrate your fatherhood, to celebrate the example that you are providing for those who would come behind you, is that your goal? Are you understanding that each and every action that you take, each and every aspect of your life is an example for those who would come behind you? Are you understanding that as you grow and increase in knowledge and understanding of the Word, that you are then to reflect that to the world? Because after all, as Christians, we understand we live in in a world that has gone wrong, a world that is contrary to our Heavenly Father's design. For we believe that God has formed and fashioned each and every aspect of creation so that those creatures He created in His own image might have a pure and perfect relationship with Him. And yet, all men, all of us, have transgressed His, his Word and His ways. For in the Bible, He has given us His standards, His commands, and His will for how we ought to live under His authority, how we ought to respond to Him. And as the Bible unfolds, it tells a story that all men have now rejected His commands. They have rebelled against His authority. They have chosen to do things not the way their Heavenly Father would do them, but the way that they want to do them. And yet there's hope in the midst of that story for the Bible is a story of God's redemptive plan, of God's redemptive work, the way that He restores and reconciles broken sinners, rebellious sinners to Himself. And this redemption of sinful man through the forgiveness of our sins brings us into a right relationship with God, with His creation, and with one another. And so for those who have been delivered from the penalty and power of sin through the work of Jesus Christ, we understand It means that our lives are to look different. They are to be lived differently than those around us. We understand that there is a responsibility on us as ambassadors of reconciliation to live out transformed lives and to proclaim the message of reconciliation to all those around us. One of the most important responsibilities that we have is that life 
be that life that we live be a testimony to the transforming power of the of the gospel in the midst of our lives that our lives would be a truthful uh, a testimony to the truthfulness of the transforming power of the gospel in each and every life for our christian witness extends outside of these doors through the transformed lives that we live and the words that we speak this is especially important for us in the midst of our home because after all who knows us best who is it that knows us best those within our homes those who we live and walk among and i heard somebody say god i think and you're absolutely right he knows our hearts he he knows us better than any anyone or any person but the people that know us best within this world are our family And so, fathers, as we celebrate this day, I pray that each of our men, whether you are young or whether you are old, whether you are boy or whether whether you are uh, you are aged, we'll put it that way. I won't make the same mistake I made at Mother's Day. No matter what age you are, I pray that it would be your goal to live a committed life that would show out the truthfulness of the transforming power of the gospel in the midst of every day. For every Christian within the, within the church, we pray that indeed each of us would be committed to living out a life that testifies to the truthfulness of the transforming power of God's gospel in His grace. And so as we come today, let us each commit ourselves. Let us each commit ourselves to living out lives that testify of the true transforming power of the gospel within the midst of our church, within the midst of our homes, and within the midst of our community. As we look at God's words today, let us hear and receive his word so that we might go out and live differently. Let's stand now in honor of the reading of this, God's holy and inspired word. In Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the word of God says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that this indeed would reflect in our lives the truthfulness of the transforming power of the gospel. That we would live within this world gone wrong in such a way so that people might see and know, Father, the grace that you have given in Jesus Christ and that they would come to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, let our light shine so that those around us might see our good deeds and glorify our, our Father who is in heaven. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. We see within this passage that as we remember God's grace given to us in the gospel, our good deeds should testify. They should be a testimony in the midst of our community to a transformed life before the watching world. Because listen, there are not only eyes watching in our homes, but there are eyes watching on the street. There are eyes watching in our places of business. There are eyes watching in the midst of our educational institutions, whether you are in in, uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, 
or college, it matters not. Listen, there are eyes set upon you to see whether or not you and I are walking out what we profess to believe. And this passage is saying, hey, remind them of their relationships to the authorities of this world. Remind them of their relationships with the, with every person in this world so that your life might show the transforming power of God's gospel. And as we come today, we need to be reminded of things over and over and over again. I remember not long after we got married, Olivia looked at me one day and said, Don't you remember I told you to do that two weeks ago? I looked at her and said, No, (laughs) I don't. She said, okay, well, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to write it on the refrigerator. And here's your task. Here's your list of things to do. And so you need to accomplish all these things. And and so I'm going to do a honey-do list on the refrigerator and just leave it there. Mysteriously, I, I still can't understand how this happened. But that list disappeared off the refrigerator. It disappeared and none of the tasks ever got accomplished. I'm still not sure what happened to that list. But the reality is all of us need to be reminded. We all need reminders from time to time about different things. We need to be reminded over and over again about what constitutes proper Christian behavior and conduct. What constitutes not just outward behavior, but inner belief. We need to be reminded and encouraged from time to time so that we don't fall back into old damaging habits. So that we don't do things that are contrary to the purpose and to the will of God. As we come today, we need to understand God's goal is to transform our life and then to use us as vessels of transformation, of vessels of reconciliation to minister and to call out to the world to come and to trust him and his gospel for their transformation as well. So as we come today, let us be those who would commit ourselves to have good deeds that testify to a transformed life before the watching world. And let us make sure that in relationship to our government and relationship to other people in our community, we would seek to live out the gospel each day. First of all, there in verse 1, we see that, that Paul says, remind them, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good deed. And here in verse 1, we see that the Christian is to remember God's grace in your response to authorities. When you get ready to take action upon something, you're to remember God's grace in the midst of your response to authorities. Now, understand this. There are many warnings throughout Scripture about those who have forgotten, those who have turned back, who have turned away. Indeed, there are many promises there are many promises to those who do remember. But under uh, we see within Psalm 116 a confrontation of Israel over the fact that they were forgetful. For there in Psalm or Psalm 106, they say, it says about Israel, they soon forgot and they did not remember. Jesus says something similar about his apostles in Matthew chapter 16, verse verse 9, when he says, don't you remember? It is hardly surprising then that we would move into the New Testament, into the letters and the leading apostles of Paul and Peter and John, all within their New Testament letters, use this term remember or to remind those. And Paul uses it to Titus here as he's ministering in the midst of the church in Crete to say, listen, you need to remember 
remember or to remind the Christians how to respond in the midst of their lives so that the gospel and the grace of God is made known through all of their actions. See, for all conscientious Christians, we need to remember once the, that we have once and for all time been delivered from the unhealthy lust of this world. And we need to take pains so that we might make the truths new and fresh and, and we might regard them each and every day. We're not just to have this as a book that lays on our shelf dusty and moldy and because of disrepair and disuse, but we should have this book open constantly seeking what God would have us to do. He says, first of all, you need to remember your witness in relationship to the, to the worldly authorities in your life. Remember God's gospel of grace in the midst of your responses and to those relationships of worldly authorities. He first says to rulers and authorities, be submissive or be subject. Listen. There was once a proud king, you may remember him from the Old Testament, a king called Nebuchadnezzar who thought that he ruled at his own whim and at his own will. But understand, Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of lessons to learn. One of the most important lessons comes comes in Daniel chapter 4 verse 29 when he is told the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Who is sovereign over the kingdoms of men? God, the Most High, Yahweh, the ruler of heavens and earth, the creator of all within this universe. He is on His throne. And we understand that as the psalmist says, that indeed God is in the heavens and He is on His throne. And He does what? Whatever He wishes. And so that's the God we serve. And Nebuchadnezzar had to come and understand that it wasn't at his will and at his wish that he was serving his king. It was at God's will. That he was serving as king. And so it is God who puts people or parties into positions of prominence and authority. And the Apostle Paul makes a similar point in Acts chapter 13 verse 1. When he says there is no authority except that that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by who? By God. And so how are we supposed to relate to those authorities? We are to submit to them even as we submit to God. And so in the same verse, Paul is telling us that that indeed this is part of a Christian's duty. We ought to live in this way. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Since God has put them in power, we are to be in subjection to them. Titus is to remind the believers that they are to be subject to the rulers and to the authorities over them. Hey, listen, that means you need to watch the speed limit. Means you need to be careful to do what the, what the, uh, what the authorities of our country and of our community set up laws regarding we need to listen to them and receive them because in the way that we relate to those earthly authorities, we are actually not just relating to them. We are relating to who? Our eternal Father. 
Secondly, not only are we to be submissive or subject to rulers and authorities, but there's a second word that goes with that. We are to be obedient. And that, that word also could describes the rulers and authorities. The latter word is explanatory for the former word. For indeed, being submissive to governing authorities definitely involves being obedient to them. And so there have been some scholars who have pointed out that this was much needed counsel for the Cretans because after all the island of creek was under roman rule and there was great oppression there was great bondage and the cretans were very anxious to get rid of the romans they didn't want to be ruled by them and so they were seeking constantly to overthrow the roman rule on their island they wanted to be out from under that bondage but now paul comes back and says listen i have already given you a command and that command is to be what submissive and obedient under the authority and now i'm going to tell it to you again in this letter titus remind the church remind the believers that they are to live under submission and obedience to the authorities god has allowed to be over them basically what he's saying is you may wish to be free from roman rule but the time being but for the time being god has placed you under it it is now your duty to submit to it do what the authorities tell you to do we of course fall under the same admonition this is an exhortation not just for the church at crete but by extrapolation it is a it is a a command for the church here in goldsboro for adamsville baptist church for the individual christian in the midst of the united states of america in 2012 it is a command for all of us to obey For we are to recognize the hand of God in the appointment of those who govern over us. And we are to be obedient to them. We are to be law-abiding citizens. And we are to be unhappy. We we are to make sure that we are respectful of those authorities God has placed in our life. Now let me say this very clearly. We may be very unhappy about certain government actions and may pray that in His mercy God will one day give us better leaders. But let us never forget, who is it that sets up the rulers and powers and authorities of this world? God. And so as far as it is, it is, it is feasible, we are to obey them. For his own purpose, for God's own purposes, he has placed these rulers over us, and it is our duty as Christians to live in conformity with their law. Now, at this point, though, the question must be asked about the extent of our submission when those commands of an earthly power or potentate transgress the commands of God. What if they contradict the commands of God? Is there ever a legitimate place for civil disobedience within the Christian life? Is there ever a place where I can willfully dishonor or disavow the laws of man so that I might serve the living God? And the answer is yes. The Bible indicates that there are limits to rulers' authority and that those limits are, when those limits are transgressed, it is right to disobey man so that we might obey God. But let me be very clear. You need to carefully think through that situation to make sure that's your reasoning. 
Some, some of these incidents we find within the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh tells all the, the maidservants within the Hebrew community that they're, they're growing too fast, they're getting too large, so they are to kill off all of the newborn baby boys that are born. And verse 17, it says, The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them, but they let the boys live. That was a matter of principle, wasn't it? That's a matter of principle of obeying God rather than man. They viewed life as that what, that is precious and given by God and God alone. And so they weren't going to dishonor it and kill those baby boys. They let them live. In Daniel chapter 3, we come to some well-known examples of dis- civil disobedience. These young men refused to bow down before the golden golden idol that the king had made and for that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego got thrown into the fiery furnace so that they suffered on behalf of it but they were convinced they were not going to bow a knee and worship an idol rather than the living God. Daniel chapter 6 at the risk of his own life Daniel defies the king's decree that for 30 days everyone in the kingdom was not to pray to anyone or anything but the king. Do you catch that? The king first of all set up an idol and then he set up himself as a god. He said nobody should pray. But Daniel defied that and he faced a night in the lion's den to which God joyfully delivered him. In Acts chapter 5, we come to the New Testament and we see the same principle. For for the apostles have been told by the Jewish authorities to stop preaching the gospel, to stop preaching the name of Jesus Christ by which men might be saved. But their principle is very succinctly stated in verse 29 of Acts chapter 5 when they say we must obey God rather than men let me ask you something this morning if it came down to it would you be willing to make that statement because each and every one of the examples that i have given to you had punishment for their actions it cost them something But you know what? They had a backbone to stand up and stand for God even in the midst of a culture gone wrong. In the midst of those those rulers who thought that they were more powerful than God and that their laws ought to surpass the laws of the supreme creator of the universe. These men and women willfully obeyed God and worshipped Him rather than men. See, for many early Christians... This meant death. For indeed, the Caesar would have mandated that all people must call him Lord. But the Christians would not call him Lord because that, that name was reserved for their Lord, for Jesus Christ, God in the human flesh. And so they refused because of that to do what Caesar had commanded. And for that, many of them paid with their very lives the price of disobedience. See, it may well be that these days may come again to our shores. A lot of us don't like to think about that, but there may be, there may come a day when the 
commands of our government may transgress the laws of our God. And we need to decide here and now before the day comes whether we will stand with the men of the past and with backbones of steel and say I will worship God and obey Him rather than man or whether we're just going to give ourselves to the ways of this world and conform to man's standard and not God's standard. Praise God for those godly Christians there in China who in the midst of a country that has a one-child policy where you cannot you cannot have more than one child. For those Christians who are watching there at the creeks as babies are being drowned and they go in and rescue those children out of the creeks at the cost of even their own life so that they might Pass on the Word of God to the next generation. What a great stance for the Christian church to stand up and say, God has created life, not man. God has the ability to take life away, not man. We will obey God's commands. We need to be willing to stand on those principles. We must be willing to stand in the face of the government if it transgresses God. But let us be very careful because many times, most times, our issues are not actually issues that transgress God's law. They're just issues that we are uncomfortable with. We also see in in verse 1 that we are to, as Christian citizens, we are to do good. He reminds, uh, he reminds the Christian church, do what, whatever is good, and we are to be ready to do whatever is good. When a state of emergency is declared, you know who ought to be the first people on the front lines? We ought to. We ought to be going and ministering, reaching out with helping hands, seeking to better our community. When, when there is a just cause for war, our heavenly citizenship does not absolve us from our earthly responsibility of serving in the military or helping in some capacity on the home front. It is very likely, however, that Paul has more in mind here than simply our duty as citizens. He's not just talking about duty as citizens in the context of of a military service readiness to do whatever is good surely characterizes how we are to interact with our neighbors with our friends with our family members our colleagues and our fellow students every person in your life let me ask you do they know that you're a person who's ready to do good can your government call on the church because they know you know what this church is by their good deeds showing the light of the world, the light of their Heavenly Father. They are showing it to our community. They're really interested in the people and the purpose of our community. Listen, we are to show in all kinds of practical ways that we are genuinely concerned for people, that we have their best interests at heart, and that if possible, we will help no matter the cost to ourselves. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? All those religious, pious people passed on the other side of the road, but the Good Samaritan comes along and he doesn't ignore that man who is there on the other side of the road. He goes and delivers him up from death. He goes and takes him and and cares for him. And then he takes him and places him in a place of care. And he he sacrifices at a cost to his own self. Whatever it takes to make the man well. That's what the Christian life should look like. We are to remember God's grace in our response to authorities. But secondly, we are to remember God's grace in response to all men. 
It's not just limited to the government. It is within the context of our culture and our community. We are to be concerned about how to interact with others. In verse 2, it says, Malign no one, be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. He starts with your speech. He says in verse 2, Titus says, No one is to slander. You are to slander no one. You're to slander no one. You're not to revile anyone. You're not to speak harshly of anyone. In fact, Patrick Fairburn gives the context of those words uh, of reviling that would have been spoken. And he says it in this way. The part, uh, it's, he says it imports more than to speak evil in the ordinary sense. It is to act the part of a reviler or slanderer. And when used of conduct from one man to another, always betrays the exercise of a very bitter, malignant spirit. When he says malign no one, revile no one. Abuse no one with the speech that comes out of your life. You know why he's saying that? He's saying that because, listen, in the moment that you attack or launch a, a reviling attack, an accusation, accusation laden uh, barrage against somebody else, you are revealing a malignant spirit in yourself where you are not satisfied with God and the things of God. The apostles' directive can be no clearer. No such abusing and insulting language is to be heard on our lips. We may feel it necessary to criticize a certain politician. We may feel it necessary to criticize a fellow believer, a colleague at work, a family member, or a former family member. You may feel it necessary to criticize a spouse or an ex-spouse. But listen, our great example in this respect is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And so we are not to repay anyone evil for evil, but what? We are to repay evil with what? Good. Let me tell you, there's been more than a few times this pastor I've been tempted to transgress this verse. I praise God, Paul put it in there to remind me daily of how I'm supposed to talk and how I'm supposed to act. Because you know what? When you get spit on and cussed at as a pastor, that's a pretty hard thing to take. It's a pretty hard thing to look back at that person and not to launch an attack against them. But you know what? When God, in His grace, redeemed my life and transformed my life, He changed my nature. He made me a person who no longer sought to malign people, no longer sought to attack people. Indeed, He gave me a heart that is consistent with what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 14, when he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Why? Because Jesus Christ is my example and He has given me the power to overcome my sin nature. He's given me the power to change. And so people may be insulting and abusive in their language to us, but by God's grace, our language to them is to be altogether different. Not only are we not to malign anyone, but next we are to be peaceable. And this word peaceable comes from a Greek word, amacho. The first word, ah, the first uh, prefix, ah, means not. And the second word is macho. Not macho. Now, macho within our context is a guy who's laden down with muscles and he's got muscles bulging out of every area of his body and he's just waiting for an offense so that he can pounce and launch an attack and beat somebody up. 
That word amacho within the Greek, it would have been not pugnacious, not contentious, not quarrelsome, not a brawler. Christians are not to be people who are ready to resort to violence at the drop of our hat just because difficult situations comes up, come up. Tensions may be running high in the office with your boss. Tensions may be running high in your home with your wife or children. Tensions may be ru- running high within a church meeting, but we are never to make matters worse by exploding in uncontrollable anger. We need to guard our lips. Guard our hearts. We're to be considerate. We're to be gracious. We're to be conciliatory peacemakers. A believer is to be anxious to heal, not to deepen the wounds that are there. We must seek to preserve peace rather than to destroy it. Paul concludes by saying they are, Christians are to be meek. They are to be meek. They are to be known by their gentleness, by their meekness, by their humility. For indeed, we are to show true gentleness and consideration toward all men. And so Jesus in his Beatitude sermon uh, on the mount in the Beatitudes, he says that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. It is the same word that is used here. Understand, it is not saying that we are to be weak for meekness is not weakness. Meekness is simply power under control for our Lord God himself came in human form as Jesus Christ and he had all power and all authority within his hand and yet he chose to chose to willfully face the temptations of this world and even the cross so that he might be crucified and pay the penalty for your sins and my sins so that he might bear upon himself the penalty I deserve and that is meekness power under control For he willingly crawled up on that cross and he died knowing full well that three days later he would be raised gloriously from that grave so that the power of God might be shown to the truthfulness of the gospel and the transformation for all of those who would come to trust in him. And so we must understand that in our relationships with all men, not just some men, not just those men we like and those men who do well for us, not just those who give us money, not just those who are nice all the time to us but to all men this passage says we are to be gentle and considerate see god has given three foundations within this world for society the first of which is the family the second of which is the church and the third of which is the nation The amazing thing is God has worked within the midst of our society to show us His goodness and His grace. He he has strengthened us and sustained us through many difficult years and trials and tribulations. He has strengthened us. But understand this, if you want to understand how the blessings of God flow, you need to understand those three institutions because, listen, as the home goes, so goes the church. As the church goes, so goes the nation. You want to understand where we are and why we're having so, so much difficulty? Because, listen, we need godly men who would live out these attributes in the midst of everyday life. We need godly men who would rise up and say, you know what, I'm going to have a backbone of steel. I want my child to live under the authority of men in a right way. Well, listen, Dad, if you want your children to live under the authority of men, you need to live under the authority of God. 
And you need to demonstrate that you're willing to obey His commands even when it costs you something. Our children see our lives through and through. And listen, what this generation ignores, the next generation will reject. What this generation ignores, the next generation will reject. And if we lose the gospel of God's grace that transforms our lives, we will be losing another generation. We need to be men and women who will stand up for the cause of Christ, who will stand and be good witnesses. How can we be good witnesses? We can be good witnesses when we are subject to rulers and authorities, obedient and ready for every good deed. When we malign no one, when we seek to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men, that's when we'll be witnesses that have a testimony of transformation in the midst of a culture and a world that has gone all wrong. Father, as we come to the end of our service today, I pray that You would change and transform our hearts. Father, that You would lead us in this time of decision. Father, we know that we are fallen. We know that we have so many problems. But Father, as we come today, we desire to be those showpieces of glory. Father, that might teach others to glorify our Father who is in heaven. Lord, we ask now that you would lead us and guide us in this time of decision. Let us see those places where we falter. Let us see those places where we fail. Lord, let us commit ourselves to be changed and transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that we can't do that in and of ourselves. We know that You have given Your pure and perfect Son to restore us to a pure and perfect relationship with You. Lord, let us cast ourselves upon Him. Let us repent of our sin and place faith in Christ so that You might redeem, renew, and restore us so that we might be vessels to show this world Your glory. Father, may Your grace work in us now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand now for a hymn of invitation.